0: More women have the opportunity to drive change. If someone says, I'm not a feminist, I ask, What is your problem? We must do better. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon.
1: Hello and welcome back. My name is Jamila Risby, and I'm the host of the Future Women podcast. As you know, we have wrapped up on season one and we have been quietly beavering away behind the scenes, getting ready to bring you season two. And we have some really awesome stuff planned. But I couldn't help myself after an event that happened a couple of weeks ago from sneaking back into your podcast feed for a very special event. Last month, Future Women hosted former Deputy Leader and Foreign Minister Julie Bishop at a dinner for 360 people. The audience was a who's who of the women of Australia and included Liberal MP Julia Banks, former Ambassador for Women and Girls Natasha Stott newly elected Wentworth Representative Dr Karen Phelps, and of course, Future Women founder Helen McCabe. The event was called Off the Record, and as promised by the name, the discussions had in that room stay in that room. However, Julie Bishop has kindly agreed that we could share her opening remarks with you. In her speech, she reflected on her decision to step down as Liberal Party Deputy Leader and Foreign Minister after the leadership spill two months ago. She said, amongst other things, that it was painful but she knew it was the right thing to do for the new leadership team, the right thing to do for the government, but most importantly, the right thing to do for her. This is Julie Bishop, as you have never heard her before.
0: And as we are in the seat of Wentworth, I congratulate Dr Karen Phelps on her win. I look forward to working with you in Canberra. Thank you for coming to my rescue last Saturday, demonstrating that our friendship is beyond politics. That is a story for another time and place. Over the years, and most certainly more recently, I've been asked often, about politics, about the role of women in politics and more generally, and about my journey. And so as Australia's first female foreign minister for five years and as the Liberal Party's first female deputy for 11 years and as the only woman to have challenged for the Liberal Party leadership, unsuccessfully, I add, <laughs> I do have some experiences to share and some observations to make. <laughs> However, anything I say tonight should not be taken as walking away from the very optimistic and confident. And constructive outlook I have for politics in this country, for women and for the opportunities that are ahead for all of us to aspire, to inspire, to succeed, to be fulfilled and to be empowered. As Foreign Minister I made a point of meeting the female leaders in every country I visited. And at last count, there were about 100, 110 trips that I made. And so there was a standing direction to the Foreign Affairs Department that in addition to all the other formal meetings I had, I wanted there to be an event where I would meet the business leaders that were women, the female politicians across the public and private sector And from Port Moresby to Tokyo, from Washington to Suva, I met thousands of women in leadership roles from every conceivable walk of life. And that enabled me to see their nation through their eyes, not from the formal briefings, but from the woman's perspective through their lens. And I believe I learnt so much about female leadership. Now, during my time as Foreign Minister, I also noted that many more foreign ministers were female. At last count, about 30 out of the 199 countries. But nevertheless, a growing number of female foreign ministers. Now, there is a kind of a foreign ministers club. Whenever we get together... We talk about who's travelled the furthest, whose plane was cancelled, whose (laughs) luggage was lost. And it builds a kind of camaraderie. And I made a point, in fact I made it my business, to make the closest personal contact and engagement with other foreign ministers. Swapping mobile phone numbers, um, texting, WhatsApping, Because I believed that it served Australia well for the foreign ministers, to be able to contact each other informally, immediately, without waiting for the bureaucracy and the protocols. It drove our departments mad. But it enabled me to alert another foreign minister to an issue, avert a problem, give a warning, and solve issues before they became front page. But back to the female foreign ministers. Over time, we started meeting formally. And we would often comment about the contrast between meetings when we got together and the more usual meetings where we would be perhaps the only or one of two women in a room full of male foreign ministers. Let me give you an example. I remember in September of 2016 attending the counter-ISIS group. About 26 nations represented by their foreign ministers. It was hosted by John Kerry, the Secretary of State from the US, Sergei Lavrov, the Foreign Minister of Russia. And I was the only female, along with Federica Mogherini, who is the High Representative of the European Union. The rest were male. The discussion was brutal, aggressive, people shouting over each other, interrupting. At one point, Federica turned on a microphone and said, why don't you boys just go outside and fight it out? (laughs) That night, I went to a meeting of the female foreign ministers that had attended the UN General Assembly Leaders Week. There are about 25 of us. We discussed the same topic, the same facts, there could not have been a greater contrast in the tone, the style, the outcomes, the narrative and the way we saw the world. Now, I don't want to generalise and I don't want to get into stereotypes, but after seeing leadership up close, I am convinced by the research that says there are different leadership styles based on gender. Now, of course, all elements of leadership can be prevalent in both sexes, but not equally. And I'm convinced by the research that concludes women's leadership style is transformational, men's style is transactional. What I mean by that and what the research shows is that women are more likely to build teams, they're more likely to be emotionally engaged with the individuals. They're more likely to be empathetic and sensitive to the needs of those individuals and they're more likely to pursue professional development to achieve the goals of their team. Men are more likely to be driven empirically to set team goals. They're less likely to focus on the individual. It's much more punitive, less sensitive, and they set goals and judge the team and call them to account at every step. This research concludes that transformational leadership promotes a higher morale and leads to longer-term elevated productivity. Now, of course... There are strengths and weaknesses in both. But it leads me to conclude, if you're trying to be a man, it's a waste of a woman. (laughs) Over my time as Foreign Minister, I had the privilege of meeting and learning from A number of amazing female leaders, from Theresa May to Angela Merkel to Aung San Suu Kyi, all very different in style, but nevertheless, there were some common themes. And in my specific field, I was particularly honoured to get to know and learn from three amazing former US Secretaries of State, Madeleine Albright, Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton. Now, these were three women who gave me ideas and advice on the challenges that they faced in an increasingly challenging world and what they were trying to do to overcome these challenges. These women are what we describe as woke. (laughs) And I particularly remember two significant women from the United States who were very different but made such an impact Samantha Power, who was the US UN Permanent Representative, the ambassador to the UN under the Obama administration, and Nikki Haley, the ambassador under the Trump administration. They were two tough women in the most important global forum in the world, the UN Security Council. And I was inspired by both of them. Now, this year I have passed a milestone. It's 20 years since I was elected to Parliament in 1998 and it's 40 years since I graduated from law school. So I had 20 years in the law and then 20 years in politics. So I think I've learned a little. I've still got a lot more to learn, but I thought tonight I'd just leave you with perhaps four pieces of advice, just four. Never let anyone define who you are and what you can achieve. You set your own standards. You set your own benchmark and you strive to meet it and ignore those who set for you standards that they wouldn't or couldn't meet themselves. Be authentic. Be yourself. A little story. I remember when I became the aged care minister. I got a phone call from a senior male member of the then Prime Minister's staff. And I said, OK, Julie, out with the power suits, no more corporate lawyer image. You're now the Minister for Aged Care. I want to see cardigans and frocks. (laughs) And this was a full decade before Michelle Obama made them fashionable. (laughs) I obliged... And then after a while, I thought, this isn't me. Why am I dressing to please somebody else? Be myself. I love fashion. Wear what you want. Be who you are. Second, back your judgement. Trust your instincts. And I have to learn and relearn this lesson over and over again. Back your judgement. Trust your instincts. A professional example. During 2016 the US presidential race was capturing everybody's attention. And I asked the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade to send me two incoming briefs, one for the Republican candidate, one for the Democrat candidate, so we would be prepared, whoever won. Over time, the commentators around the world believed that Hillary Clinton was a shoe in And that was understandable, given that the... Trump campaign seemed to be beset by every controversy you could imagine that would have sent lesser candidates to the wall. But I couldn't get the Trump brief from the department. And I was spending a lot of time in the United States during 2016. I remember coming home in September and saying to DFAT, send me the Trump brief. Because I had detected support for candidate Trump from some of the most unexpected quarters and I just had a feeling that he was going to win. And I wanted to see a brief. Well, you can imagine the department thought, what a waste of time, they rolled their collective eyeballs. (laughs) Can a department do that? I think so. (laughs) But they sent up the brief. And so, instinctively, I knew that we had to prepare for an incoming Trump administration. And just as well we did, because few other nations did, and yet it gave us an opportunity, having done our homework, to engage very early on with very senior levels within the Trump administration. And that assisted us in so many ways, and some very early decisions that were taken by this administration ended up being in our favour. Next lesson, number three. Mentoring works. If you can find a male or female mentor, a trusted advisor, somebody that you can speak to when you're making major decisions in your life, it's so important. And on the same topic, sort of a subheading, always back other women. They are not your enemies. They might be your competitors. They are not your enemies. (laughs) In 2013, I was elected by my party room as a deputy leader when we came into government. And as a result of that, I automatically became a member of Cabinet. Automatically. Therefore, there was no woman appointed to the Cabinet in 2013. Not one. And, yes, it was lonely... And there were times when I found it very frustrating. I was continually interrupted. I don't know, can you guys not hear us or something? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I found that I would come up with an idea or a proposal or an issue and they'd move on to the next person. And then about three down, somebody would say exactly what I said, exactly what I said, and the guys would oh, go, genius, let's do that. This happened time and time again and I started to think it was me until I raised it in a scenario like this and the women around the room were saying, yes, that happens to me. So when more women were appointed to Cabinet, we would instinctively say, don't interrupt, Maurice, she's speaking. Or why have you just said that? Kelly said that five minutes ago. And just pulling people up and reminding them that women's voices must be heard and deserve to be heard. Last point. You've got to enjoy it. If you are not enjoying what you're doing, you've got to think long and hard whether you're in the right place. If you're not getting up in the morning saying, I can't wait to get in there and get on with it, then think again whether you should be there. If you're deflated, if you don't want to get into work, if you don't want to take up the project, think about doing something else. As hard as that might be, I remember as an article clerk my first job in a law firm and I was the first woman that this firm had employed in its 100-year history other than as a cleaner or a secretary. And on the first Friday night there, they invited me and my male counterpart in for partners' drinks. So Andrew Walsh is in and is immediately embraced by the male partners who are talking about golf. And I was the only woman in the room, and I stood there rather awkwardly, (laughs) and the senior partner came up with a drinks tray, and he gave it to me and said, would you serve the drinks? (laughs) I did. And it's no coincidence that I left that firm a few months later, not just for that reason, but I knew then that this wasn't the place for me. And as difficult as it was to leave your articles halfway through, I knew it was the right thing to do. Two months ago, not counting, two months ago, (laughs) I had to make what I think was one of the hardest decisions to resign as Deputy and then resign as Foreign Minister and leave the Cabinet. It was painful, but I knew it was the right thing to do for the new leadership team. It was the right thing to do for those in Cabinet, but most importantly, it was the right thing for me. Helen, thank you so much for organising this event and this new platform. I'm really excited at the opportunities that this will provide for women to share experiences and ideas and support each other. And I think the momentum will take us to a very positive place. As I've so often said, no nation will reach its potential unless it fully engages with and harnesses the skills and talents and energy and ideas of the 50% of its population that is female. In the case of Australia, that's 51%. (laughs) Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Julie Bishop.
1: Wow. Well, I am sure you will agree with me that that was quite the speech. As Julie said, she had some experiences to share and some observations to make. I love that she made that little quip with a little wry smile, knowing that what she had to say would be both intriguing and just that little bit controversial. I particularly loved her reflections about women's leadership style being more transformational, whereas men's tends to be more transactional. I wonder if that's true for you. Does that hold true for your experience and the people you've worked with? I also noted that Julie Bishop again says she doesn't want to call herself a feminist and she's amongst a growing group of women who don't feel connected to that particular terminology. I find that fascinating as someone who loves the word and wears it proudly, perhaps you could join the discussion in our community and have a bit of a chat with us about whether or not it's a word you apply to yourself, whether it's one you embrace with gusto, or whether you think it's a bit of an outdated term, perhaps something that you don't really connect with. Now, if your FOMO is as out of control right now as mine is, then I would encourage you to head to Future Women and join up. If you join as a gold member today, you'll receive 20% off all our events, events just like this one, and it's really very good value. If you're less interested in the events, but just want to be part of the community and read all of the wonderful content that is behind the paywall, including content by yours truly, then have a look at the red membership. That might be a better option for you. If you haven't joined already, you need to head to futurewomen.com to join up to our club. And if you're not Sydney or Melbourne based, then never fear, we have events heading to you shortly. And as of December, we'll also be releasing some special recording of selected future women events to our members all over the country. That's it from me for now. We'll be back in your feeds shortly with more from the Future Women podcast.